result. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. This week's guest is an up-and-coming UK-born, LA-based artist whose music is described as a mix of R&B and bedroom pop. You may have seen her in the digital pages of Flaunt Magazine, Complex, and GQ, where her music has been characterized as an effervescent and nostalgic mix. Here to talk about her new EP, Anxious Attachment Style, it's Ella Rosa. Hello! That was such a good intro. Jeez, I've never heard something like that. <laughs> Thank you. Do you ever get annoyed being called an up-and-coming artist? Because I feel like it's a compliment. But I was thinking to myself on the drive over here, I was like, I wonder if artists who are just kind of like breaking out find that to be like an insult. No, because honestly, to me, I'm like not up-and-coming in my head because I've been doing this for so long. For so long, long right. But I love it because I'm like, okay, at least it's like recognized now. Up and coming to me seems like, okay, watch this space, be mm-hmm. excited about it. So I'm like, call me an up and coming artist till I'm like Beyonce level at this point. <laughs> That's how I feel. I feel like it's a compliment in the sense of when someone says that, they're like, oh, this is someone to watch. Like, this is someone to pay attention to. Exactly. But I never know what that feels like from an artist's perspective because, like you're saying, obviously you've been doing this for so long that to you it feels like you're a veteran. Yeah, I guess it does. Like I I really have been doing this for so long, but I've never like until like two until like a year and a half ago, I would say. I've uh, that that was the point where people started saying like up and coming artists. I feel like that's like the prerequisite to becoming like a full-blown artist. Right. So I <laughs> I don't really have too much of an ego with that kind of stuff. Okay, so before we get into the music, let's talk about the half marathon that you just ran in Miami. I saw you were posting about it yesterday and it looked like it was very emotional for you. It was. And I'm not like an emotional, I'm, I'm an emotional person, like compartmentalized emotional, <laughs> I guess. Um, but that was, like, I was like kind of embarrassed because I finished the marathon and I was like, why suddenly I just overcome emotion <laughs> and I literally just couldn't stop crying. And I was running it with my boyfriend and he was like, are you in pain? Like, is everything okay? And I was like, I'm just yeah. really happy. I feel so good. And he was like, honestly, me too. And he shed a tear too. And I was like, it has to be something to do with like doing something. So, you know, life, it's like, it's like a life thing. That's what I felt right. like I've been training for it for like, not that long, six months, but it was so in, in my head and I was so nervous about it. And so like obsessed about it for a minute that like, once it was done, I was like, I just put my body through that, you know, it was, it was like an overwhelming rush of, I guess, emotion for lack of a better word. I feel like when you're preparing for something like that too, it's very physically and mentally taxing. Yeah. The mental side of it is so true. Everyone kept on saying that to me. They were like, you don't even need to train. You just have to be like mentally prepared. And I was like, oh, whatever, I'm just going to train my ass off. And then yeah. I realized it is actually like my mental resilience was tested completely because I was not, my body wasn't doing the stuff that I wanted it to and I didn't feel like, I didn't feel mentally strong if I'm completely honest in that moment, like fitness wise, I was like, oh, this is so stupid. It's not like doing anything in my, it's not like pushing me forward in career or anything. So I felt like it was counterproductive, but I was like, I have been training for so long. I have to just push through at this point. Yeah, for sure. I think it's productive in a personal sense. Exactly. And I guess that's why I got kind of emotional. Cause I was like, this is the first thing that I've really done for myself that right has nothing to do. It doesn't do anything for my career. It doesn't do anything for like 
money, you know, like, it's just like, it feels just good for me to do. And it felt kind of like a very adult thing for me to yeah. do. But <laughs> that's the adult thing that I've done. I feel like that's important. Like, yeah, it's very important. I think that's probably why I cried because I was like, oh my God, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Same. I've been having that crisis recently. <laughs> I want to be a runner so bad, but like, I just don't have it in me. Unless it's on the treadmill at the gym. Like, I don't know what it is about outside and the pavement that it just feels harder. And I don't want to do it. I don't know why. Like, I relate to that so heavy. I fully realized yesterday was like my, my, I had so many realizations, but one thing I definitely realized was that I'm not a runner. Like, no. my, my, I saw people just who weren't even like, like, I'm a pretty like slim person and I, and I'm happy with my body, but mm-hmm. there were people who were like obviously a bit less fit than I was, but they were running the whole time. And I was like, <laughs> it really is. You're either a runner or you're not. Yeah. I think. Yeah. It's yeah. like a lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. So sure. talk to me about growing up in the UK. It was lovely. Honestly, I, I really loved it. I think it was one of the most like wholesome places to grow up. I didn't grow up in London. I grew up in like a six house, one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> yeah, five to six house, I guess. Tat, like little hamlet in mm-hmm. red a place called Reading, and it was just like really wholesome and lovely um and then I moved when I was 11 and I moved to New York mm-hmm. um and that was pretty that was a pretty you know wake up moment like right. you're you have to be like a bit more of a person now instead of like you know puberty in New York is never fun <laughs> <laughs> definitely not <laughs> So what prompted the move? Was it like a family move or was it for your career? It was, it was, I think the, my career stuff came after that because, um, so basically my dad was traveling so much for work to the point where like, we never really saw him and it didn't really feel like, you know, it didn't feel like he was a present dad at, Mm -hmm. at some points. And he was just like, I can't, my dad's a really big family person really supportive, really huge family person. And he was just like, why don't we all just move to the place where we can be together, hang out together, have a house together, and you guys can grow up there. And I think when I moved to New York, I realized I was really lonely. And the only thing that I had was music. It sounds corny, but that was the only thing that kind of like stuck with me. Right. Um, And so my career kind of came after that, but it was, it was one of the bittersweet moments where I was like, oh, I'm so homesick, but then I'm also thriving in a sense in New York like I felt like career-wise I was like really like learning the ropes of music and just being an artist and being an adult what is your earliest memory of music like discovering music on your own really funny um I have two big moments I guess when I first got I got a cd player when I was younger Mm -hmm. um and I got like three or four cds and then I started stealing my parents cds that they had in their bedroom um and I think like hearing Nina Simone for the first time was really beautiful. Mm. Hearing um, Elvis was really gorgeous also. Um, and then I had a lot of like Debussy, which was like overwhelmingly, like it was a lot to hear as a kid, but I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. Classical music is like the most highest, you know, fine art you can find. Um, and then the second memory I would say, so the first one was like having a CD player and having my own little like moments by myself. Right. And then, I guess the second one was um, <laughs> my brother was like auditioning for a musical in our small town. And to me, that seemed like, like, <laughs> like I thought it was like the biggest like Hollywood thing. <laughs> I And that was when I was like six and my mom, I was there with him and they were like, okay, you can like come sing if you want. And I was absolutely shit nervous. 
and I sung and I was like so just terrified and my brother got the main role I didn't get cast obviously because I was sick oh no <laughs> yeah. um, and then I saw him and he got literally the main role and he was like doing all the like local theater things and it was just so cool to me and I was like I guess in a in a double-edged sword a bit jealous mm-hmm. but then also pushed me to be like okay I found his I got, like that was the moment I remember just being like okay I have to hustle if I want to do this found his like vocal teacher and I was like I want to do this I want to do this and she was like okay you have to like do this that and that and then that's when I started like working really to do to do music like how I wanted to do it and I guess it was I was way too young to even find my voice, but I'm glad that I did it at that age because that was when I like really found it was, it was on, you know, there was no judgment. I could like, I was, I was obviously quite bad at songwriting and obviously quite bad at singing at the time, but it was like, no one cared. Cause I was six. And right, so it was like, of I course. Got that away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Instead of like having those moments when I was in the public eye. So when did you first start experimenting with writing and recording? When I moved to New York, I felt like I had a lot of, a lot of writing for sure when I moved to New York because I had so much to say and I felt like I didn't really have an outlet. Um, my family was all going through this move together and we all kind of, now that we sit back and think about it, we're all like, oh, it was quite a hard move and we all didn't talk about it because we were all trying to support each other and be like, it's okay, like we can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we weren't really just saying like, oh, it was quite shit actually. Um, <laughs> and and I think that's where I got my my songwriting. And then recording was when I... I was just going out a lot when I was really young in New York because I didn't know how else to cope. And I think I met a lot of producers and DJs and stuff like that. And I was like, I can sing if you have any like top lines or right. I never said top lines because I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> but I was like, if you ever need a singer. Um, and then someone, a couple of people got me like on some of their records. And I remember just like being obsessed with EDM at the time. And I remember, like dance music was a huge thing like in the early 2000s and I got really into that. And I remember just like performing at these really adult bars, like uh, Highline Ballroom and mm-hmm. like Webster Hall. And like I remember there was this club that I, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it, but I was, I walked into the line and I was like, hi, I'm performing. Obviously 16, like was wearing braces, like not. <laughs> and they're like, we don't care. Like you can't sing here. And I was like, but the DJ, I'm literally performing. And then the DJ had to come out and all this like embarrassing stuff, but that I just had like this unwavering need to, you know, perform. So that was, I think it was just through chance that I met these producers and DJs that I, that I got my like performance chops up in, in, in New York. And I was recording with them obviously at the same time. So were you at some point singing opera? Cause I feel like I read that somewhere. And yes, I was, that's yes. one of those internet things where I'm like, is this real or did someone make this up? <laughs> no, it's fully real. I mean, when I was in, I had like the push and pull of like, you know, the timeline is when I was 16 and I was doing all this weird performing with these DJs and it didn't really seem like a solid path musically for me because it was very like one week I'd be doing it the next week I wouldn't and the next month I wouldn't and then another month I would and it just didn't seem very stable. My parents were like, okay what's next for you? Like I said, they're very, they're quite involved parents. So they were like, what is next musically? Like, how can you take it to the next level? And I was still studying classically at that point. And I remember just like auditioning for all the classical conservatories. Um, and the loosest one that I could find was the new school because it was, was Parsons and, um, and the, I can't remember, uh, Lang, which was like the English school. And it was all very like, 
hippie, not hippie, but I guess like everyone was like quite cool and like making their own clothes mm-hmm. and making their own music and all this like cool creative stuff. And and it was still a conservatory. So I kept my parents happy while also doing my own thing. Um, so I was studying opera like heavily. And then this last year of uni came around or the second to last year of uni came around and we were kind of all being pushed to audition for like the mat and all these really big, you know, opera houses. And I was like, so I would like miss auditions because I just didn't care. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like an obvious sign, like a knock on the door being like, people would die to even have a, have time with like the, you know, the um, orchestra director at the Met. Like right. I was 15 minutes late to that. Like I just obviously didn't care. And I was like, okay, what do I care about? What, what, like, what would I never be late to? And I was like, I'm, ne- I'm never late to my sessions. I'm never late to like a production meeting. I'm never late to meeting like an A&R or someone who has input in my music and, and like just creating art. Um, so I felt like that was the switch for me when, when I realized that everyone was so interested in it and I just was not interested in it at all. Right. So I guess that was my like pull out of opera, but I definitely was doing opera for like a solid 10 years. Wow. That's crazy. That's a long time. Yeah. (laughs) So in 2020, you started releasing a string of singles, which you eventually compiled into an EP called Yellow Blazer. What led Mm -hmm. to the decision to release song by song versus dropping the entire project together? Um, I think there was just not not enough demand. I wanted to kind of prove myself to the market, I guess, that I was making a lot of music. Um, and the the EP came so far after. Like, I didn't even know what the project was going to be called until like a month before. And I didn't even know if it was going to be an EP or if it was just going to be a bunch of singles. But I think the decision was just like, I didn't really have a full-fledged idea in my head. And I and I think I was just like, oh, maybe I'll put it all into one project because they all sonically sounded similar. But right. yeah, I don't there wasn't really like a definite moment where I was like, I want to be, I want to have a project named Yellow Blazer. I think it was just I wanted to put out some music, see what the response was, and see if I needed to change things or if there were any other suggestions, you know. So that project is a solid mix of pop and R and B. I love um, Myself and Too Cool. Those are the standouts for me. That music is just has a very different sound than what you're making now. So what was inspiring that iteration of your music at that time? There's a part of me that like wants to say that it was because I was in that realm of feeling and da da da. But then also like truthfully, I think it was because I was listening to a lot of music like that in LA. I was like, okay, what's current right now? What's trying to, I was trying to, keep my finger on the pulse of what was happening in that time mm-hmm. and make similar stuff. Um, and that worked for me in that moment, but now I'm making, obviously making music that's a lot more, I guess, true to what I think is quite right. cool and quite like fun. Um, I think honestly, it was just, a, it was just me trying to sound similar to a lot of people who were doing, having success, um, which is fine. And I'm not like mad at myself for that because it just like, I did what I used to do, but now I'm like making a lot more truthful music to myself, I think. So at this point you had already moved to LA? Yeah, that was the first year that I moved to LA. What prompted you to move from New York to LA? Um, so this is the little like weird thing because I've moved around a lot. But mm-hmm. It was New York. Then I went back to London and I did a lot of like songwriting there. And when I was in London, I felt like I was just missing something. And I came to LA for a week to do a writing camp with an artist. 
And I'd made like 25 songs in the space of seven days. And I was like, okay, I've made eight songs in the space of three years in London. Right. Five songs in a week. Like how much work really could I do if I lived there for a year or like two months for that matter? Um, so then I just, I, I like pushed myself to make the move. I literally knew no one in LA, but it was like somehow comfortable for me to just move to LA. And like, obviously the first year was pretty shit, but <laughs> Kind of, yeah. <laughs> I kind of just like made myself comfortable and like put myself out of my comfort zone, which inevitably made me comfortable. So during the Yellow Blazer era, your music was catching a lot of buzz with really big publications like Complex, Wonderland, Flaunt Magazine. Was this the result of like really good PR or just an organic spread of the music? I think it was honestly both. Like my publicist at the, like I say quote publicist because he was not, he was literally just a friend that I was like, listen to this. Yeah. Like, do you like it? And he was like, yeah, I feel like it would fit well here. And like, obviously like there was no transaction there. He, we just like really liked each other and we were, we were really good friends. And he was almost like an A&R to me now that I think about it. But um, it was, I think it was a, it was a balance of both because both because he had friends in those places, but it wasn't like a, I want this on complex or I want this mm-hmm. on GQ. It was like, it was a lot of overwhelming support. I guess I can't just write it off as if like I had my foot in the door because it wasn't that. It was more like I put out music that I really liked. And I think the at the time I really liked. And I think that like it got the response that it kind of deserved because I like shopped it around to a lot of people. Like now when I'm making music, I kind of keep it really close to my chest because it is really vulnerable. But at that time, I remember sending out like so much music to people all the time and getting so many different like conflicting comments and ideas and stuff like that but that that was a result of like me doing that you know like me me pushing it out to a bunch of people came a lot of like really nice press and yeah it was just a lot harder I didn't I I would never do that again because it was a lot more confusing like I didn't even know if I was making good music at that point even when I all those publications I was like Am I supposed to be here? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like as an artist, you're your own worst critic. So exactly. even if someone loves something that you're putting out, there's always still that question in your mind of, am I doing this right? <laughs> yeah, I think I have that now every every week, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I've been feeling that myself lately. Like sometimes I'll have like the greatest days and the most like successful interactions or interviews or whatever. And then still sometimes I'm like sitting in my room editing something. Or scheduling something, and I'm like, who the fuck do I think I am? <laughs> Literally, like imposter syndrome. Yeah, to the max. it's so bad. So at this point in your career, you were also going by a different name, Ella M. So who is Ella M, and how is she different from Ella Rosa? Well, I'm glad we talked about the my history and music and stuff like that because when I was doing the DJ vibe, mm-hmm. um, and like working with a lot of producers at that time, I was going by Ella M because. I thought that was really sick. Like I thought that like a DJ featuring Ella M mm-hmm. just like made sense. And it honestly does. Like that's, that was of the era. Um, I just felt like when I said it, I would cringe. Like every, anytime I had a show during the like yellow blazer era, I would cringe at the, like the thought of me saying Ella M and it didn't roll off my tongue. And like my middle name is Rosa. Like I was like, I have to just like be, I I honestly like was just trying to get back to my like baby self, you know, like right. I just want to get back to my like seven-year-old self where I'm listening to, you know, Amy Winehouse in my room with a CD player. Like 
that is the core of what I want to be again. Hence why I'm making like this type of music and also the name change. But Mm -hmm. um, I think I went by LM because it was just like, I was doing that already, but I needed the change because it didn't, it really didn't work for me. In 2022, you released another EP entitled F Off, I'm Fine. Where did the <laughs> inspiration for that title come from? <laughs> that, I mean, this is flowing like very perfectly because as I said, like when I was sending out so much stuff to people and I was like, I really did want the advice. Like I wanted people to tell me what they thought of everything and all that stuff. And I got a lot of, like I said, conflicting comments and conflicting notes. And I was like, you know what? Fuck everyone. <laughs> you can say it. Do- say it loud. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do my own thing. And yeah. so I was like, what is the most, what do I always say? Like just day to day. And I, and I was like, cause I remember I was in my room and someone sent me awful notes back from a, from a song that I sent them, like really just, they went in and it was someone that I respected a lot. And I think I was tired in that day or whatever, but I was crying a lot. Um, and my friend from England called me and she was like, Oh my God, are you okay? And I literally was just like, fuck off. I'm fine. Like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, that is what he needs to be called. Like I need to be so like, I don't care if you like it because I like it, type B, you know? I think that's going to be the title of this episode. I like that a lot. It has to be. It has to be. <laughs> okay, so this EP and the previous, they kind of have a very similar sound. Like, stylistically, they're very similar. It almost feels like you could put the two EPs together and it could be an album that flows really well. So at this point, when you're releasing this music, the second EP, are you thinking that this is what your sound is going to be and where you're going to go? Yeah, I think I'm like getting closer and closer as I mature more and get more comfortable with myself and like showing myself to the world. Mm-hmm. I think I'm getting closer and closer to the sound that I really like. Um, and I say this a lot when I'm showing people my music of this EP, like this is the first project that I have done where I'm like, someone could say like they really hate it. And I'd be like, yeah, it's your problem, not mine. Like, um, so that's why I'm like, I hope that the next project that I do is going to be like, I'm going to be like that, but on a hundred. Right. Um, and I hope to just get closer and closer to the, you know, unhateful to myself self. Okay. So let's talk about anxious attachment style, the new EP. So I was in touch with Nate, shout out to Nate from Impulse Artists to interview another artist that he reps. And he was like, I have this girl, Ella Rosa. I got to send you her EP that's coming out. And we got to get her on the show. I'm always scared when people send me either like their own music or somebody who represents an artist because I'm very protective of what I do. And I only want to talk about music and talk to artists that I believe in and I think is really good. So I'm Mm -hmm. not shy to be like, Mm-mm. <laughs> yeah. but at the same time like I feel bad so when I opened it I was like all right I'll give this a listen so I was stoned on my couch and I started playing through the EP five songs and I listened to the first two and I was like oh shit this is really good and then I got to ruin my life and I was like oh this is about to fuck me up I have <laughs> listened to this goddamn EP since he sent it to me like two or three weeks ago non-fucking-stop. It is so good, and I was so excited about it that I've been telling everyone I know that they have to listen to this, but they can't because it wasn't out yet. 
So I've yeah. been texting literally all of my music friends and I was like, wait until you hear this fucking shit. So let's get all the way into it. The <laughs> style is like so different from what anyone is doing right now, but it works so well. Where did the drum and bass influence come from? Because as soon as I heard that, I started losing my mind. Nobody does that in pop music. Like, that's just not a thing. I mean, I was listening to a lot of Tattoo. Do you remember Tattoo? The duo? The girls? Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was listening to a lot of Tattoo. The fake lesbians. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to so much of them at the time. And I was like, okay, what they had made such an era of like, angsty like dark but also really pop like I was like I don't know what it is but the color of their music is like so bright yes so dark and I loved it and Mm -hmm. I was like I need to do something similar to that um and I think it's also I spent a lot of time in the UK when I was like during that summer um when I was writing it and and UK like electronic drum and bass is just like absolutely unmatched so I, I needed to pay homage to my like history and like I said I wanted to put I want to get like more into like what I found cool when I was six or seven and drum and bass to me, like garage and drum and bass was the coolest. Like I used to listen to it at my dad's car and we used to just sit there and like, pop heads. well, that's like the UK version of the nineties. Like when we talk about our nineties music, which obviously is worldwide and we all know the same thing, but like UK specific nineties music quote, I feel is that style. Like that was yeah. all the, the thing back then. Yeah. And I remember just like when I started music, I was like, I want to make music that make people feel that way. Like I like making music that make people feel cool and like sexy and fun and like a bit like cheeky. Right. So I was like, I have to make something like that. So I think it comes off quite well in the in the EP. And I'm happy that you <laughs> I have to say, like, thank you for saying that, because I'm I'm always like wary of, you know, new people hearing my new music is always a bit weird. Like you don't owe me a listen slash you don't owe me a like. Right. So it's like nice to hear that you liked it off the bat. No, I lost my mind. Like in my living room, lost my mind. I was like, is this a fucking joke? And honestly, the emails between me and Nate became so unprofessional after that. Like I was trying to put on my professionalism hat. And then I was like, are you fucking kidding me? With a bunch of question marks. And I had all these like comments about it, losing my mind. I couldn't get enough of it. That's what I want. I want everyone to become unprofessional when they listen to it. Yeah, I became unhinged. I also was like super stoned, so that might have had something to do with it. Um, (laughs) I want to pick a favorite, but I feel like I like them all for so many different reasons. So do you want to just like go through each one quick and tell me a little bit about each song? Yeah, okay. So let's start with, let's start with like the first release, I guess. I I released Wait Dance first. So that one was um, very inspired by a moment that I had at like a nightclub. I was trying to get to know someone. It was a girl and I, we were just like hanging out, talking. And I was like, this is the worst. I literally remember screaming to her. I was like, this is the worst place to get to know someone. And she was like, what? And I was like, just never mind. Like, let's just dance. So we, and I was like, that's so funny. Well, I literally was like, wait a second. And then I just danced and I was like, I need to that like is like that. I love that. Um, so that was that song. And then the next one I did not cute. And the not cute one I would say would would fit really well into the last EP that I released. Yeah, it's very like heavy R and B, I would say, with like a lot of like electronic, um, like sonic elements. But mm-hmm. that one seemed so electronic and so of the time that like I it really fit well into the um into the storyline of the EP. Um so I so I put that one in there and I really liked that one. And that was like a transitional. I wanted that song to be like it's all good if you're not like in your, you know, if you're unhinged, like you said, like you can be not cute all the time. It's mm-hmm. okay. Um, 
And then Why You, I made purely, I was really heavy on the production on that one, like low-key, like co-produced that one. And I wanted that one to be like less about my vocals and more about like the vibe and like carrying the EP. So that one's more of a like vibe transition song. But that one equally like gets a lot of attention because everyone, every time I play that song, it's like so very British and very like head bobby. Um, And then face, your face was very much like, I want to make a joke about how when you get obsessed with someone, all you want to do is just like sit in your bed and think about like that time that he said, hey, and how the way he said, hey, and, and like how, what your name would look like if you had your initials, Mm -hmm. like his and all that stuff. So it was like a tongue in cheek moment. And then finally ruined my life was, (laughs) was like theatrical. I wrote it with like my best friend. She's not even a writer, but we were like just equally probably as high as you were. And we were like, let's make something so dramatic that it's like almost funny. And yeah. I wanted it to, that was like the song that you listen to when you're driving away from a crime that you by accidentally committed. And you're like, <laughs> oh my God, what did I just do? Like that kind of vibe. So yes, that's the whole trajectory of the thing. I like, I want it to be very theatrical and very funny and fun. Okay. I have some notes. Do you want to hear them? Yes, I need to hear all of them. Um, so Wait Dance, I really love the way the beat like builds up in the beginning into like the first chorus drop. And it feels like very ethereal. And I think it was like the perfect way as an opener to set the tone for like the ride we're about to take with the music. I feel like it's a great ease into it. And you're like, what really is this? Are we going to keep going this way? Because I feel like I'm such an album person and I've talked about this a lot on the show. And I think that yeah. that's coming back like full projects versus yeah. like single drops. So for me, I like something that is cohesive and goes together, even if it doesn't all sound the same. But I feel like when I listen to newer artists who are making music now, I wonder if that's what's going to happen. So that's the experience I had with this song. Like, is this all going to flow the same way or are we going to go in a completely different direction for not cute i loved the slower vibe i think the vocals were very like sultry and sexy and i don't know who on your team came up with the term bedroom pop but you should give them a raise because this is that to me and that term is very sexy i like it a lot i i did that was you <laughs> yeah. yeah well I mean, pay yourself a little more this quarter because that's <laughs> fucking fire <laughs> And I feel like, like you said, it it's kind of like, to me, I wrote that it was a bridge between your old style and your new style, your old work and this work. It's like got the vibes of your old music and your last EPs. I hate when people say old music. I shouldn't say that. It was from like two years ago. Um, but <laughs> like the stuff you were doing before, I feel like this is the bridge between that and this. And I liked that that was included in there for why you, I like that. It has like minimal vocals in the chorus. Like the chorus is kind of just like riffs. And and I think that that's different and it worked really well. That's like a a big risk, I feel. But it it worked so well for what it was. Ruined my life. I want to say it's my favorite, but like, I don't know. I feel differently every day between that and your face and why you. And then wait dance. Like I didn't really get into I guess in the beginning but then as the weeks went on I was like wait no I really like this one too so now I'm just confused ruin my life I would say is my favorite I yeah I like that one a lot ruin my life all I wrote was this song slaps like <laughs> that's it the beat smacks you in the face it's like it does yeah yeah 
it's like it's like an obvious killer of a song. I really, yeah, it's an obvious like, yes, this is a this is a fun song. It's fun. It's fast paced. It it makes you want to move. I like it a lot. Um, and then your face finished the line for me. You smoke too much when you've had enough. I cry. You argue. It's all for love. Oh, I love that. I feel like when I heard that line, I had one of those like church moments where I was like, woo, because I was thinking of someone I would immediately direct that at. And that is my favorite part of music. When you like connect to a line that someone wrote and you're like, I know exactly who the fuck that's about in my life. Yeah, it's just like getting into the argument with someone who just is like so mm, just stupid, but they're like, we're in love. So it doesn't matter. It's like, what? Yeah, but you're still frustrating me. Yes, you're still annoying the fuck out of me. So that's my take. I love the whole fucking thing. Where did the title Anxious Attachment Style come from? I think it came after I had listened to the project altogether a couple times. I was like, what? This is so very much me, but what is me? And I had a lot of like existential crisis, Mm -hmm. crises about what the whole project was about. And I was like, I'm talking a lot about like needing to hold on to something and being like, and I guess ruined my life, like nailed it in the coffin. Cause it was like, okay, I killed this, well not killed the person, but like I wanted to kill this person because of how much I loved them. And I was like, that's such a typical anxious attachment style person thing to do. Right. Um, and I wanted it to like, I wanted to, you know, set the tone when someone got the Dropbox link or when they got like the SoundCloud link, I wanted to kind of like set the tone of like what the lyrical content's going to be, like mm-hmm. what you're going to get. And I think that that's what the lyrics kind of serve when when you're listening to the whole project. You you get what it says it's going to be, you know, especially your face. Your face is such a typical like, I'm so obsessed with you, never leave me or I'll kill myself, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're also sporting a new look for this era of your career and you've got the dark hair going and the dark kind of style with the imagery. What made you want to change things up for this? I felt um, quite recluse when I was doing this project. I really didn't want to see people. I didn't really want to know anyone new. And I think that was because I was so nervous, you know, from the past, like I said, I was so nervous that someone was going to listen to it and tell me a note that would really penetrate like my psyche. Um, and so I kind of just like closed myself off from a lot of people. And I remember just thinking that era was like very dark. And I was like, well, it goes really well. Like listening to that music, I don't feel, I don't hear, like when I listen to music, I I see colors and shapes and stuff like that. And I, I didn't see like reds and purples right. and you no know, color. I saw like grays and rain and smoke and weed and yeah alcohol has a darkness to it yeah 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 I think it works perfectly all of the images that I've seen that you've been posting for like the single art and stuff that's upcoming I think it works so well with the music it just like you're saying it feels like what you see when you listen to it exactly I wanted it to be not just a not just a sonic experience I wanted it to be like something visual too What's next following anxious attachment style? Good question. I've been like really, I've been setting up sessions and stuff for the next project. I'm just like waiting for it to kind of happen naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, my focus right now is like performance and just like a lot of art. Um, so like I'm, I'm going to do some shows in March and April. Um, but I think it's just going to be like another, I don't think I'm ready for an album just yet. I think 
artistically I'm ready like I'm I can definitely slug out an album no problem mm-hmm. um, but I think like in terms of demand and fan base I kind of want to like build a bit more of a fan base where people are like I want to hear about a chapter in her life right um, and I think that's a lot of what music is it's like you're you're writing a book and an EP is like a section and an album is a is a is a like part one era you know of, right. the, of the so I kind of want to experience a tiny bit more and have a bit more like sadness or happiness or a lot of chaos in my life to be able to like have the lyrical content to talk about what I want to talk about and you only get to do your debut album once so I feel like exactly. you have to save that moment yeah I want to be a I want to be a debut album virgin for as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about doing shows in March and April of this year. Are you going to venture outside of LA to do shows? I very much need to. Like that has been on my. I'm. I might as well just say it right now. Like mm-hmm. I have to manifest more. So I will be going on like a support tour in April. I will. Mm-hmm. Um. And hopefully that will be like out of state, out of country, right. maybe. Um, but that's something that I've always, the reason why I got into music in the first place was one writing and also two like performing. So right. that's, that's kind of like the main priority for me is to travel and be able to work at the same time. In what aspect do you feel you've grown most as an artist since you started? And in what aspect do you feel you're ready to continue to grow? Okay. So that's a really, really, really good question. <laughs> um, I would say relying more on my that's something that I've grown in this year is relying on myself and my own resources to do the job like I think in the last project I outsourced a lot of like the creative and a lot of like the ideation of the visuals and and like honestly the ideation of like the whole project um and this project I very much like stuck to my guns with how I wanted it to be and I just spent a a little bit more time with what I wanted the whole project to sound slash look like. Um, and I gave myself like patience and got into my flow more creatively. And I think that that was so good for me because it came out really well. Um, and I'm really, really proud of how it came out. Um, something I am excited to grow in more that I have grown a bit in this year is like giving less of a fuck about what people think. Right. Um, especially like, uh, I think artistically, yes, and also personally. Like, I I I go into sessions a lot, and I think like because I'm a people pleaser and I have an anxious attachment style, that I'm like, how can I serve you know them, and how can I like make them feel good? And I'm like, well, if I'm doing my project, right. I should be doing you know kind of what I want to do. So I think that's just a point of like maturing. Though I know that when you get a bit older, you can like you give just less of a fuck about what people think. So I'm excited to grow old and actually start doing shit that I want to do, you know? Ella Rosa, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you're streaming the new EP, Anxious Attachment Style. It is out now. I'm so excited to finally post about it. I'm so excited to finally send it to people instead of it being like this little two-week secret I've had in my cave of an apartment. (laughs) I feel like I've been like locked up with a man like in a secret relationship that I can't tell my friends about with this music. So now we're going public. We're going to show it to the world. (laughs) Thank you so much for your support. You're such a lovely man. Oh, thanks. Thank you you for being here. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule post-marathon. I'm sure you're tired. Yes. 
and <laughs> let me know when you get to New York. Get to New York for a show. Trust me, I need to. There's plenty of great venues here, as you know. People yeah. will show. People will show out for you. I need to. I'm excited for that. Thank you so much. Thank you. 